Welcome to Aiming for the Moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I am Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we will be interviewing the hosts of the Field Guides podcast. So here's the interview. It's great to have you here. So you two are the hosts of the Field Guides podcast. So it's awesome to have you guys here. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So before we started, I just wanted to ask you the question that every kid gets asked. What is your favorite animal? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> My favorite animal is Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not go- So it's not just a species that's the favorite. It's the specific individual of that species. That's right. Yeah. Whatever no. he would qualify <laughs> right. a five-year-old to say. So I guess a tiger, I don't know. Yeah, if I, five-year-olds, no, go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, I actually have a, a, an answer because um, my day job is I'm a teacher. I teach kindergarten through fourth grade kids. Oh, cool. So uh, probably 90% of what we talk about is animals. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> my favorite animal is a fox, the red fox. Wow. There's just something <laughs> about it. It's like the strange amalgam of a cat or a dog, the best parts of both of those animals put together in this one fascinating critter. So what does the fox say? (laughs) I I don't even know. I don't think a lot of people know, to be honest. (laughs) I only have the slightest inkling of that reference, by the way. So yeah, I think it's a song. And then people start asking. I think you're right. I don't know much about it, to be honest, either. (laughs) All right, Steve, what about you? Yeah, so I'm not really much of an animal person, but I think you'd have to be crazy not to love the slow loris. Have, do you, are you guys aware of the slow loris? I think it's actually. I have ven- no idea. I think it's venomous, and it has these gigantic like eyes. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's yeah, crazy long fingers. Yeah. So is it's it like a, a mammal? A freakish, it yeah, is. It's like a, a freakish-looking lemur. Oh, oh yeah. is that the thing with the long middle finger that always looks like it's flipping everyone off? <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. then I knew that one. I It looks really weird. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. They good look one. really, really creepy. That was a good pick. <laughs> okay, so to start off kind of the more serious questions, this isn't a very serious podcast in general, but so you guys have your podcast and you talk about stuff, um, nature and all kinds of stuff, but you do it on hikes. So- mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Not a lot of podcast people do that. It's kind of like, oh, I'm at my desk, at my house, or I'm in my studio. So why do you go on hikes and record it? You want to take that one, Steve? Yeah, I guess. Uh, so you interviewed a friend of ours, Matt Kandayas, Um, And uh, from time to time, like I, I used to guest host on that podcast. So I used to listen to it every week. Uh, nowadays, I'm too good for it. No, I'm kidding. I'm, 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 I'm too busy uh, to, to catch it every week. But um, I think he did an episode once that wasn't really like a, um, it, it was just a, a very low key hiking episode. And I was really impressed by it. And so I thought that having that it, almost like that ASMR experience of someone walking through the woods, but on top of that, adding an educational aspect to it, I thought that would be such a beautiful combination of things. And little did I know how difficult that would be because, you know, we don't really live. There's a reason that nature isn't a sound studio. <laughs> it makes it very, very difficult to, uh, to get, all your edits just right and uh, to edit 
you know, to make sure a plane's not flying overhead, <laughs> you know, halfway through a sentence or something that you end up cutting. So uh, yeah, I think that's it. So there, even though it's not really his style, he did an episode where they were on a hike and I, I, I just loved that so much. And I could add on to that, that for me, you know, learning about nature, talking about nature, the aspect I've always enjoyed of that the most is being out with a group of friends as opposed to being out with a class or leading a tour because there's that very serious element um, where with your, with your friends, you're making stupid jokes. You're just having fun and, and the learning just happens naturally. And uh, that to me was something that I thought, man, if we could capture that through the podcast, that would be something truly unique and something that I would want to listen to. That is really interesting. It's kind of like this, as you said, this relaxing feel where you kind of, you can hear the woods in the background and you're talking, you're explaining all the stuff and some people fade off a little bit into the distance, but you can still hear them. So it feels like you're standing right there because you can't see it, but you can like close your eyes and imagine it. And it's really interesting. I kind of, I've never heard anything like that. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I would say the only thing that I've heard that that compares a little bit is the uh, I think it's called the outside podcast or the outdoor podcast. What one of those. Um, and uh, but it's much more professionally done. Like, I think they actually go out and record the outside sounds maybe separately from the 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 actual like recording. It's it's a really, really like highly uh edited and a lot of post-production goes into it really really high quality podcast but um but it has a, a sort of a similar feel but it's just not as dirty and rough as ours <laughs> so how did you guys get interested in the outdoors so to speak because a lot of people like we interviewed a scientist who loves bugs and he said it was ever since i was born i loved bugs i never grew out of bugs so is that kind of how you guys were or i don't know like how what's your story did you always love the outdoors well, I think Steve and I both grew up with um, families in the outdoors. I know Steve had property in a rural area and I had a big woods behind my house. So we both, I'm speaking for you here, Steve, but we both grew up outside, but not really as students of nature. We right. couldn't, you know, tell one tree from another. We just enjoyed spending time outside, playing in creeks, flipping over rocks and logs. I, I joke that I grew up as a creek rat. Uh, but then once we got into college, and Steve, you took courses with Sandy Gaffner, right? Yep. Uh, I did yeah. his field ecology course and that was yeah. the, my, really my first foray. Although I knew some friends that had taken field ecology with Sandy uh, the semester before me or two semesters before I did. And so the summer before I was like, I'm going to get on top of this. I'm going to get ahead of the game. And I, but that was when I bought my first field guide and, uh, and I failed horribly identifying a tree in a parking lot because I don't know if you know, but the trees that a field guide would help you identify is not the type of tree that you would find in a parking lot of like a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> There's not a lot of overlap there. Right. Yeah. So I think both of us can, can point to becoming more students of nature and people that want to teach about it to uh, a teacher that we had at the University of Buffalo, whose name was Sandy Gaffner. And he did environmental education on the side. He wasn't just a teacher at the university, uh, but he just had this great way of teaching out in the field. And that was an essential component of, of his teaching was to take people out into the field to identify things, to teach about the ecology and the stories behind all of those things. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So your guys' podcast, it seems to kind of be, you've kind of brought, you leverage tech to bring outdoors to everyone as you talk about and educate people about the outdoors more. So do you think we can do that to get um, kids and people my age more interested in going outside and having fun? Because a lot of the time, teenagers and other people younger than us, we're just kind of like, well, I mean, I've seen that on Google. I mean, I can Google the outdoors. I can Google the bunny. I can Google the little thing that flips you off all the time with his finger. <laughs> like, I've, I've seen it on the Internet. So why should I go outside? Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think... One thing that I think younger people really like, man, I'm, I'm a 32 year old man. I don't know what, what younger people like, but what, what I, what it seems like they, they're very interested in, for example, Bill and I, well, I should say mostly Bill, but I've done it in, in many previous years, have done uh, bird banding. So we capture birds and mist nets uh, really early in the morning. We, you know, we capture them and we weigh them and, and identify them and everything like that. And that hands-on experience, especially when you have like a younger crowd there or, you know, some people um, coming there to, to partake in that, whether it's just writing notes about the bird or, or just looking, um, I think that's really fun. But... Uh, but I, I really do think that sometimes it's hard to open a textbook, you know, but it's, it's a little bit easier to do something a little bit hands-on, like, like Bill said, like flipping over a rock, getting muddy, getting dirty, you know, that stuff is a lot more fun than, you know, reading a paper about, you know, whole genome duplication and <laughs> some carnivorous plant, like, like I do, uh, you know, in my PhD, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really do think hands-on is like the key to it. Yeah, and I, I should jump in there and, and point out that when Steve was talking about bird banding, we are doing that as part of a scientific study. We're not just, you know, catching the birds on our own. Just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have permits and everything. So it's all above board. But, you know, I think technology does need to be part of anything moving forward. Um, I completely agree with what Steve says, that hands-on aspect is part of it. But there are a lot of natural history apps that are on that are out now that I feel where the technology has caught up to a point where they're actually really useful. Cause for a long time, any apps for identifying plants were super unreliable, but I mean, Steve, I think you agree just within the past few years, they've really come a long way where they're much more reliable and, and they're actually useful at this point. Um, mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of technology out there and ways to interact with nature using technology. And the cool part is you can use that technology to do what's called citizen science. I don't know if you've heard about that, but these are avenues for everyday people to use technology to collect data from the natural world and feed that data into scientists that will use it for, you know, real research. Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah, sorry. Here. No, no, you can go. Okay, I always ask Bill this because I always forget the name of it. What's that app that's sort of like Pokemon Go, but for sure. actual species? <laughs> I was going to talk about that next. So there's a, an app called Seek, and it really is like Pokemon Go. You open it up wherever you are, and it'll say, hey, try to find these 10 plants and animals. Um, and it almost does it like a Pokemon search. But again, that data is fed in to a database where researchers can use that to say, oh, you know, someone found this particular wildflower here or this particular bird here at this time of year. That's useful data. Uh, it's not just, just for fun. And I know just sharing that app with parents, you know, through my schoolwork as a teacher, parents and kids, that's an, an easy sell to say, hey, here's this cool app. It's like a scavenger hunt. You know, let's do this. And 
you know, a lot of kids, they jump right on that. So imagine Pokemon Go if it was really, really useful to the scientific <laughs> community in your brains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. You're not you're not just wasting time or just having fun, right? You're also, you know, doing something super worthwhile. Yeah, it seems like a really cool app. I'll definitely have to check that out. It's really cool. So we're almost out of time here. But before we ask the last two questions, I wanted to ask. What are some fun stories that you guys have had? Uh, maybe doing your podcast, maybe just out in nature. Do you have any fun stories that you could tell us? <laughs> we got to say, tell the Bobcat story. Oh, well, okay. Well, uh, let me start with this story. Is uh, I used to live in Utah to, as, a, as a botanist, and I saw a real Bobcat. That's how I'll start. And then Bill, and it was incredible. It was one of the greatest sightings of my life. And now, Bill, you could go into your story. So... Uh, this was a couple winters ago. Steve and I were recording an episode on the screech owl. So of course we had to do it at night. Uh, and our plan was to go out, share some research on screech owls, and then we were going to try to call some screech owls in. Well, while we were out, we went to a, a nature center not too far away. And, you know, it's nighttime, it's during the winter. We're out in the woods. It's just us in this whole place. And we start hearing a bobcat snarling and growling off in the woods. And, you know, I kept trying to go closer and, and Steve saying, we got to get out of here. This, this is, this is scary. And at one point he actually pulled the mic out of my hand. Um, Cause <laughs> we were connected. We were using uh, connected mics. Yeah. Um, but little did Steve know that I had actually set it up ahead of time. Our friend, Rich, I had set him up ahead of time playing a recording of a Bobcat <laughs> uh, out in the woods. So that was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Uh, just because yeah. Steve's response was awesome. It was like gold for that episode. And it was tough too, because, you know, Bill has a few years on me. He's a little bit wiser than me. And I don't think he's like necessarily braver than I am. I mean, there's a few things he does that, that, uh, you know, sometimes he goes hiking in the Adirondacks by himself or something. And I, I don't think I would do that, but um, I was like, hey, I really don't think we should get any closer. And, and Bill's like, come on, come on, let's just get a little closer, a little closer. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, we shouldn't be doing this. But if Bill thinks it's okay, it's got to be okay, right? And uh, yeah, it, it, it was awful. But, but I do have my own sighting of my own. That uh, So when I was in college, a lot of my friends um, were really big into hiking. You know, we would take field guides out into the woods, whether it's at night or in the middle of the day or whatever. And, you know, that's what my friends like to do. So instead of partying on a Saturday night or something, we'd be out hiking. And... Um, and one night we were hiking at a place in New York um, called the Iroquois Wildlife Refuge. And, you know, it, it was around that time we weren't really hiking with uh, headlamps. So we would bring headlamps with us, you know, j- just in case. But we'd like to hike in the dark because you got your eyes get used to it. And it ends up becoming really easy to see your way around. And as we were hiking through this little, I think it was a like some type of evergreen plantation that's sort of off, just off path. We saw a glow coming from like the left side of the path. And we got closer to it and we were, we found a rotting log and each piece of wood in that rotting log that was crumbling apart was glowing like a, a crystal out of a fantasy video game or something. Every single piece of wood was glowing. And, um, and, uh, you know, it was just so fun. We just hung out there for, you know, as long as we could. Uh, and it, what, it, what it turned out to be, we found out later was that it was a, a bioluminescent fungus 
And it's, uh, I think uh, a common name for it would be Foxfire. And it's one of these things that just through the beauty of chemistry and nature, um, you just have these, you know, it, it, it's, it has a mushroom. So fungi have the has something called mycelium that works its way into you know uh, substrates like like wood, and that's what was glowing, and uh, it was just glowing so perfectly that it just literally looked like greenish blue glowing pieces of wood, and it was uh, it was still one of my favorite sightings, you know, because you don't expect to see things glowing in the dark. Uh, I mean, and I've done it a lot, and uh, and you know, it's not really a common common sighting, but that's one of those things you gotta people listening go out hiking at night or I shouldn't tell them that because sometimes it's, <laughs> it's not legal to go hiking at night like that but um but the more outdoorsy things you do the more rare sightings you'll come across yeah. and uh and and some of those you just can't you can't plan on seeing so <laughs> yeah that's that's really cool and I've never seen a glowing log for <laughs> at, in my entire life which I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen a lot of glowing logs no if you guys I, haven't been hiking with flashlights on you know, you wouldn't have seen that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say I'm going to go hiking in the woods because that sounds like a bad idea, <laughs> especially in and that not like <laughs> and not in where I'm in the city now. So it's not a good <laughs> idea either. So <laughs> I won't be seeing a lot of natural things. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So our last two questions are what books have had an impact on you and why? So there's there's really two books I'd like to talk about. Um, one is really referring more to an author. His name's Bern Heinrich. Uh, and he's a professor, I believe, from the University of Vermont. He's written a whole mess of books. Um, they're very grounded in science and in natural history, but he's just an amazing storyteller. And I feel his writing is accessible for someone of, of almost any um, natural nature background, whether you know, you're a serious student of it or just a beginner, like especially his book, The Trees in My Forest. Um, David Quammen is another fantastic writer. He wrote for years for Outside Magazine, and they've collected a lot of his articles. So those are great, especially for someone just starting out, because you can kind of dip in to um, his different articles. But the one book that I think I have to mention, but I kind of have to mention it with a caveat, is Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. It's really one of the, the books that, you know, our modern conservation movement, it looks the way it does because of this book, because of Elder Leopold. But when I was assigned that book in college, I wasn't ready for it. I found the book dry and boring. Now, I've had college students that love that book, but a lot of them say it's dry and boring. So um, I would come back to it just because I would have so many people telling me what a great book it, it was. And I just don't think I had learned enough to really appreciate it. So um, I would say, you know, those first two things I mentioned, Bern Heinrich's books, or David Quammen's books. Um, but Leopold, if you give Sand County Almanac a try and it doesn't strike you right away, keep trying. Um, because it's a book I read, I try to read once a year now, just because it's amazing. And it, you know, it gives me, parts of it give me, give me chills every time I read it. So. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say that. that Steve. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could top that, but um, honestly, I really agree with the Bern Heinrich choice. So I'm going to say Bill basically said what I was going to say. So I'm going to kind of throw one off of off to left field, I guess. And, uh, and it's a book that, um, so I work in the science community and, uh, when you, 
publish in science and, and work in science, you're under a lot of scrutiny and there's going to be a lot of failure. Uh, and you really, I think that failure is a really great opportunity for growth and to, you know, and to sort of learn lessons that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have been able to learn had you succeeded. And one of my favorite books that I think is just a universal book that uh, the main character is constantly failing and learning from those failures is it's called The Alchemist. And I always pronounce the author's last name incorrectly, I think, but it's Paulo Coelho. And, uh, and that book I've read, it's one of the few books I've read multiple times. And it's just sort of helped me deal with the failures that, that I've had throughout the years. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just something that, especially in the professional world, is something you just have to kind of constantly deal with, whether you're applying for grants or, you know, or trying to get your paper into a high you know, a high impact journal, you're, you're gonna have them say, no, but you know, if you do this, this and this, we might consider it again. So, you know, failure is a pretty common thing in the sciences. So uh, I would definitely recommend that it's, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful story. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I just love the lessons that the main character kind of teaches you as the story goes on. So. Yeah, I think we've had another guest recommend The Alchemist. Um, I know I've heard it's a great book but from several people, and I can't remember who it was, but I know that was somebody. It might have been actually another science podcast that we interviewed. Hmm. Can't remember for sure, though. Interesting. Um, a science I know. I know it was and it was recommended. Hmm. I highly recommended. I feel like everyone listening should read it. It's a very, very quick read. Uh, I think you could read it in a sitting or two. Wow, I have not read that before. Mm-hmm. So our last question is, what advice do you have for teenagers? Uh, Bill could just repeat what we say at the end of every episode. (laughs) At the end of every episode, we just say, get yourselves outside, get muddy, get dirty, flip over rocks, flip over logs, all that stuff. But I imagine you're looking more for like like life advice kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess flipping over um, rocks and logs works too. But I mean, we mean that we mean that literally. And figuratively, right? <laughs> there, there you go. That works. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll jump on that though. Um, so maybe this is is getting a, a little too preachy or deep, but um, I for a little while I taught um, at, at our the college that Steve and I went to, the University of Buffalo. For a little while, I was lucky enough to teach in the environmental studies department there, and we had a lot of people that were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their life. Um, and it, there seems always to be a lot of pressure. What are you going to do? What are you going to co- college for? Right. Um, so what I would always tell them, and I, I don't know if someone told me this or, or I figured out by myself, I don't know, but rather than figure out what do you want to do? I would say, figure out what is the meaning of life for you? Right. Is it to make the world a better place? Is it to um, focus on a family? What is, what is like the reason that you're here, figure that out. I mean, we all kind of have to figure that out for ourselves. Um, but once you have that figured out, then I feel your career paths will become more obvious to you. Um, so rather than focus on well, what's going to make me happy, because um, there's a certain argument that says, well, you can't chase happiness. That's a result. Um, maybe you more want to chase meaning. What's going to be meaningful for me? Uh, to me, that helps focus a lot better. Um, I know before I started college, no one told me you could be a naturalist, that that would be a job. And I wish someone had, because that would have saved me a lot of struggle, uh, figuring out what the heck I wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I guess I'll just sort of add on to that. And this is, this might be a little bit 
older than than your audience. I'm not I'm not sure what your demographic is, but um, I remember when I was going through college uh, in my undergraduate uh, for my undergraduate degree, uh, I was struggling a bit trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And one of the best things I ended up going to a, a, a um, like a career counselor about it, and and he said something pretty amazing uh, that that kind of stuck with me. He said, "Your major does not define your career." And your career does not define who you are. And they said, and what's your major again? I'm like, oh, it's an engineering major. He's like, oh, well, that one does sort of define what your career is going to be. <laughs> but at least it won't define who you are, you know. And um, it, obviously, I, I, I uh, stepped away from that path for engineering. But, um, but I, I, I loved what he said. And I, you know, I want more people to hear that. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really interesting advice. And I'm not even in high school yet, so I can't even test the college advice. So I'm sure it's great that um, it's it's definitely really interesting. And we write all the advice down, so we have a log, and we have all of these interesting. I guess I don't want to say graphs. You don't have graphs. That that would be a little bit weird. Um, a little bit OCD. But it's interesting. We we see categories, and it's like your career doesn't define your life. Have try lots of things. And it's all, all of this really interesting advice. You have try lots of things. You have your you know, creators that define your life. And it's all, you can kind of, you're more than just what you study in school. You can do other things right. around that. And sure. it's really interesting that a lot of people who are successful have said that. Yeah. Because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and in terms of the whole naturalist thing, some of the people that we know who are some of the best naturalists out there, that's not their job. That's kind of like their passion that they do outside of their career. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, especially working as a professional, like, let's say I, you know, in a few different States, I was working as a professional botanist. Um, sometimes we would defer to, uh, non-professionals, you know, um, that just ended up, you know, they're the best, you know, they ended up being the best at what they, what they did. So, um, because they're so passionate about yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, when you have the passion and when you have, you know, um, the, the drive to do that, it doesn't matter what you do as a career. You know, you, you know, you, you have two different lives sometimes or, or more, two or more different lives. So yeah. and you don't always need a college degree to know all the stuff is what I want oh, yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome having you guys here. We've talked about all kinds of stuff. We talked about your favorite animals. What does the fox say? Your podcast, all kinds of stuff. It was really fun. Well, thanks for having us on. It was a blast. Yeah, thank you so much. So yeah, I thought that was a really interesting interview. We talked about like why they record outside. What did you think of it, Maddie? I liked it a lot. I've kind of always grown up in a family that kind of loves the outdoors. And so uh, it was kind of nice to hear somebody else that, well, I know lots of people love the outdoors, but that they're like, yeah, like the wonders of nature. And most people my age are usually not outside all the time. Some people are, I'm not making a giant I'm not going to put you into a box, but most people aren't outside. And so it was, I thought it was kind of fun hearing about how he pranked him when they went outside to look for the screech owl. And it was a bobcat, like the fake bobcat and stuff. And just how, and they're friends and just get to do all that stuff outside. I'm jealous because that sounds super fun. That does sound fun. It's cool that they record outside. I find that really interesting because it gets, I listen to one of their episodes and it gets this um, kind of feel for it that's interesting that you you are outside 
That's nice. I really like it. Well, it's time for our announcement section and our notifications. Ding. Okay. So go to our website at aimingforthemoon.com. We have our email there. We have our guest pages. We have our episodes, other versions of our episodes, not other versions, but like in a, you can listen to our episode on the website. And we have like blog posts. And Mandy, you want to announce our socials? Yeah, so we're on Twitter and Instagram at aiming the number four moon. You can check us out there. We post pretty frequently with updates and such. And so, yeah, definitely go follow us there. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And we also have a YouTube at aiming for the moon podcast. Yep. And then our social media at Twitter and Instagram, follow us there. And don't forget to rate the podcast because that really does actually help push us up and people, it'll pop up. Our stuff will pop up on more people's stuff. They'll be able to listen to us and our guests. And it'll build more of our community. So that would be awesome. Um, And don't forget to share the podcast. Share it with the uncle you see once a year. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your dog. We all know your dogs love listening to podcasts. And that's normal. (laughs) Don't forget. Set your sights high. And aim for the moon. (laughs) 